Hello, hello, and a very warm welcome to the Steps to Investing podcast, bringing you the latest market news, company headlines, and expert interviews to help you invest for a better return. I'm Marcus De Silva. And welcome to episode eight of season six. We've got a really exciting pod for you today as we begin our early bird investor campaign with our lovely sponsors, Asset Value Investors. We, a little bit later on in the pod, I'll explain all the bits that kind of go with the campaign. But in particular today, we're going to be speaking to AJ Bell's Laith Caliph, as well as the brilliant investment journalist, Cherry Reynard, about why, as we begin our new tax year with our fresh eyes from pension allowances, you want to get investing as soon as possible and not wait around until the tax year end. Elsewhere in the podcast, in markets, we examine a weakening US economy, stubborn inflation in the UK, and how China is recovering from COVID. In companies, we look at whether Royal Mail has solved its strike woes, also how WH Smith is getting on in its recovery from its rather horrid time during the pandemic. We've also got some news about Diageo and why it's listing, delisting sorry, from certain stock exchanges that it's listed on. And we've got the latest company to enter the streaming wars, as well as EasyJet's performance during the Easter break. Now, just before we get going, please, please, please don't forget to subscribe if you enjoy the pod and share it with friends. Still, the majority of our listeners are not subscribers and we really could do with you just clicking that button if you don't mind. Okay, markets, let's start with the US and we saw some fresh economic data releases over the past fortnight. So we heard that manufacturing there dropped a bit more than analysts thought it was going to. We also heard that private sector hiring is down. And we heard that inflation is continuing its fall. So it dropped for ninth consecutive month in March. It's now at its lowest level there since March 2021. So, you know, slower economy, inflation coming down, clearly central bank action of, of ratcheting up a bit of economic pain through the interest rate levers seems to be working. The slight problem is that core prices, so when you sort of exclude really volatile stuff like energy and food, those core prices are not really going anywhere at the moment. In fact, they actually rose a little bit on an annual basis. So that is a bit of a, it shows you that sort of, the kind of core inflation is a bit stubborn there. And to investors, that was implying that interest rates in America will need to remain elevated for a bit longer. And they didn't really love that alongside the fact that, you know, potentially there may be tighter lending conditions that that start to work through the banking sector, you know, off the back of, of you know, the fallout of Silicon Valley Bank collapse and the fact that you've kind of got these withdrawals going on at smaller banks in exchange for you know using larger ones because people are worrying about the security of those smaller banks it's sort of implying to investors that the US economy could be heading for a, a deeper recession than many had sort of hoped for and you know that assessment was backed up by a pretty dour economic outlook from the Federal Reserve the US Central Bank 
and uh, and also the fact that you know we heard a number of its policymakers are advocating for hitting pause on interest rate hikes for a little while just to sort of ease a little bit of that economic pain so there's been a bit of back and forth in in, a, in investor sentiment there in markets over the past fortnight okay let's move over to the uk and what's going on in the economy here well, the big thing everyone's going to be thinking about is inflation. I'm sure many of you would have read this in the press, but uh, in particular, the news was that we saw inflation fall to 10.1% in March from uh, its level of 10.4% in February. Of course, it was nice to see it fall a bit, but that is still very high in the double digits, way ahead of savings rates. So the value of cash savings is still going down. The big problem in particular has been with food and non-alcoholic beverages. We saw that particular basket increase 19.2% in March, up from 18.2%, so really high food inflation. It's the highest since August 1977. Back then, we were celebrating the Queen's Silver Jubilee, just for a reference. Um, so that's not good. You know, Earlier, just as I was talking about the US, we were talking about core prices, though, so stripping out volatile food and energy. Well, the numbers here are still pretty stubborn when you look at core prices uh, as well. So that's not great. It means we might have to brace ourselves for another 0.25% rise come next month. I think one thing looking forward, though, with inflation, there is some hope that lies with the fact that the economy does seem to be flatlining on account of lots of public sector strikes. That's really putting the brakes in the economy. And, and, and of course, whilst that's negative, it, it does serve to remove some of this sting out of inflation. You know, the kind of reason why monetary policy goes so becomes so harsh, it becomes so hawkish, as they say, it, is to try and remove some of this economic activity out of, out of the system and cool off price rises. So, uh, you know, uh, we can see the economy is pretty weak. So hopefully that should have a bit bigger bit of an effect on inflation moving forward the other big part of the equation is jobs you know we've talked about before that that's that's quite important wage rises when it when it comes to um, the inflationary figures and what we've seen more recently is that an unemployment seems to be rising which should you know again remove some of the heat out of the jobs market you know of course it's this kind of sounds a bit perverse because you know we want people to be in, in jobs employment is important but to the bank of england who are setting interest rate policy that will probably be a little bit of of a of a relief to them uh seeing seeing just some of that what they would refer to as tightness in the labor market just starting to loosen a little bit uh so yeah um some interesting stuff there in the uk okay final little story china of course always important china's second largest economy in the world and uh you know big story this year because of course the the authorities there had sort of released its economy from uh this these quite draconian covid restrictions and you know a lot of a lot of investors were, were looking to it as this big economic growth powerhouse to, to to hopefully add a bit of activity into the global economy as as the as other sort of advanced nations slump well, we heard that its economy expanded 4.5% in, in the first quarter of this year, which was pretty good going considering analysts had expected 4%. Retail sales have grown, production has picked up, so things seem to be getting back to normal a little bit. I think the, 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 the area of caution for some 
investors there, analysts there, is whether they're wondering if this is just a bit of catch up, you know, for the Chinese economy following uh, following COVID and and the fact that it had lasted so long there. You know what will happen once this sort of backlog of pandemic orders is cleared will the other you know will fresh orders suddenly start piling up who knows you know given that the rest of the economy is 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 going pretty slow then you know we'll, we'll see whether or not it can sort of keep those sort of rates of growth but for the moment it, it seemed like pretty good news from from china there all told, the S&P 500 is up 1.21% to 4,155 points. The stock 600 is up 1.57% to 466 points. The FTSE 100 is up 1.81% to 7,882 points. And the Shanghai Composite is up 3.42% to 3,367. Just before we move on, I thought I'd mention a few bits and pieces that's going on around Steps to Investing. We have a couple of new blogs at stepstoinvesting.com. Please check out the website. In one of the blogs, I take a look at the big rise in retirement costs. So these sort of inflation and how that's sort of impacting retirees and offer some top tips for how you can get the most out of your pension. In another of the blogs, I look at the Lifetime ISA really and how it can make an enormous difference in saving for your first home. We put some figures behind that. They're really fantastic lices. Uh, you can put up to £4,000 each tax year into one. You'll get get a 25% bonus from the government, free cash from the government. So up to £1,000 each tax year. You can open one up to the last day of being 39 years old and you can keep contributing into it up to the age of 50. So uh, you can keep going uh, for, for quite a while you can only use them for one of two things either your first home or after the age of 60 so they, they're designed to really help with you know first time buyers onto the ladder the property ladder or to to help boost some of those you know pension savings as well um so they're a little bit restricted like that and that four thousand pounds will come out of your twenty thousand pound a year isa allowance so if you contribute to the maximum you'd still be able to put £16,000 into a stocks and shares ISA or cash ISA or, or any other type of ISA. And remember with ISAs, you can open more than one in a single tax year as long as they're different types of ISAs. So you can't open more than one of the same in a single tax year. So uh, you can have a LISA, you can have a cash ISA, you can have a stocks and shares ISA and you can open them all up in the, in the same year as well. So you don't need to worry about that either. So check it out, uh, those those blogs. The other really important thing to mention is that we're starting our early bird investor campaign with our sponsors, Asset Value Investors, as I mentioned at the top. What I wanted to do with this campaign was really look at, at various aspects of why, as we start the new tax year and receive our fresh ISA and pension allowances, you should really be getting going and getting investing as soon as possible. There are a number of reasons for it. We put some figures behind it. We have a really interesting blog from investment journalist Cherry Reynard, who you're going to hear in just a sec in the interview. She's going to be writing for the Steps blog that will go up next Friday. And that will look at the advantages of investing early, but also why you need to stay invested even in the really dark days of the market. And she gives a bit of a clue to that in the interview. Also on the Steps to Investing YouTube channel, which now has 
just over 870,000 views, I think, on the channel. We have a fresh tutorial where I will be looking at the the big old tax tsunami that sort of rolled in this tax year. There'll be further tax changes next tax year as well. So April 6, 2024, there'll be some even uh, some some more changes to taxes. So I'm going to be looking at those and then offering some tips for how you can get a get around some of these these changes too. We also have a fresh set of YouTube shorts, which will be examining why you need to be investing right now. So keep an eye on all of that. And then of course, we've got the video of today's interview with Cherry and Laith Calif. if you'd like to see who they are too. So check it out. Please tell your friends and family about the YouTube channel and let us know if there's anything you like or of course, don't like any feedback is really useful. Okay, let's run through the headlines in companies before we get on to our interview with Cherry and Laith. Royal Mail, let's start with them. They seem to be getting through some of the issues that they're having with the union and strikes. And it seems management have hammered out an agreement in principle with the union aimed at ending the impasse. I think, you know, it couldn't be better timing. There's a lot of stress on the organization. It needs to rejig its operations, given that letter and parcel volumes are falling. So it needs to really, really get on with those changes. And these strikes have really been holding it back. So good news there. WH Smith. Now this retailer, I'm sure you all know it well, really struggled during the pandemic. It almost killed it off. Well, it seems to be snapping back with some help from the travel side of things, outlets at train stations and airports are seeing much busier demand as holidays rebound. So it reported a year, half year pre-tax profit of £45 million, which beat expectations. So that was quite quite pleasing to, to investors there. Diageo, the massive drinks giant, is delisting from stock exchanges in Ireland and Paris. It will retain a premium listing in London and a secondary listing in New York. I mean, you can have lots of listings if you like, but it's very expensive and it's a bit pointless and it creates lots of operational headaches. So it kind of makes a lot of sense for the company that is sort of streamlining things a little bit. It's also quite pleasing to hear that it's doubling down on London, where recently actually it built a £73 million brewery and tourist centre in Covent Garden. Warner Brothers. So the streaming wars are continuing to intensify as Warner Brothers enters the market, offering a mix of content from its raft of brands, including HBO and Discovery, with big series such as Harry Potter and Game of Thrones. Its shares did fall, likely because uh, it's a pretty competitive and expensive game. And, you know, uh, it requires an enormous amount of money in order to create lots of content to attract users. So that's probably why they fell a little bit. Final story, EasyJet. They released some results uh, up to the end of March, the six months up to the end of March. And actually, they'd done very well, really. They'd beat market expectations. Uh, so, you know, that's great stuff. Easter in particular was particularly good. They seem pretty adept as well at offsetting rising fuel costs which are obviously a, a you know a, a massive part of the equation fair lines with the fact that it's quite good at selling extras so uh you know that strategy seems to be working a little bit there so some good stuff for easyjet as it continues its climb out of pandemic misery okay 
let's get on to our interview with Cherry Reynard and Laith Calif. Hello all and a very warm welcome to the Steps to Investing podcast in partnership with Asset Value Investors. In today's pod, as we begin the new tax year, we're going to focus on the benefits of being an early bird investor. Yes, there are lots of things to consider, including new tax allowances, the importance of using your ISA wrapper, the impact of different investing approaches on your long-term returns, and why you need to remain invested even in the darkest days of the stock market. To help us contemplate these things, I have the cream of the industry's investment expertise on the pod. From one of the UK's largest investing platforms, AJ Bell, we have its head of investment analysis, Laith Calif, as well as renowned investment journalist and ISA investor, Cherry Reynard. Cherry and Laith, welcome. Thank you, Marcus. Thank you for that introduction. Yes, thank you. Laith, let's start with you by, you know, framing where we are in the year. What do we mean by, you know, this? we've got this fresh tax year and we've got these fresh contributions for our ISAs. What do we mean by this? Yeah, so, I mean, the tax year uh, runs from 6th of April to 5th of April each year. Um, so you've got a new a new tax year that's just started. That probably means a lot of people have actually just probably a lot of them done their their ISA allowance for for the previous tax year. And so sixth of April rolls around. It basically starts a whole new tax year in terms of the income tax that you pay, capital gains tax you pay. But it also means you get fresh new allowances for pensions and ISAs, which of course we're talking about today. So um, you know you basically your ISA tank is now empty again, and you get to fill it up. And the amount you can put in is is twenty thousand pounds, uh, of which four thousand um, is your uh, lifetime ISA allowance, uh, which you can take out if you're a younger ISA investor. So basically, it's kind of a fresh start. You can add to your ISA all the way through this year. The fifth of April is the deadline uh, for for this tax year. So the fifth of April, twenty twenty four, is the the last day you can contribute to an ISA for this tax year. But you can do it at any time of the year, even though most people leave it to the last minute. Okay. And why has this year in particular been important? Well, I think, you know, if you're into saving tax, it's it's really important because we're all going to be paying more tax or almost everybody's going to be um, paying more tax this year because of, you know, decisions that the government has taken over the last couple of years. So the first thing is that, you know, the government has frozen income tax thresholds. Um, so the rate at which you start to pay income tax um, has been frozen at, at £12,570 a year. Um, the rate at which you, you pay higher rate, um, higher rate income tax is frozen at £50,270. And those bands are now frozen until 2028. So if you think about what that means, that means that kind of as, as you hopefully keep earning more, actually tax bans aren't keeping up with your earnings and you're just actually paying more and more tax on your earnings and potentially also moving into a higher tax bracket as well. So, you know, in five years times, we're going to we're going to have a lot more higher rate taxpayers than we do at the moment. You've also had um, the additional rate tax ban uh, threshold, which is the rate at which, the point at which you start paying 45% income tax. That's now been cut to £125,140. So that's been cut from 150k. So again, more tax for higher earners. And there's actually even a 60% tax ban in between £100,000 and £125,000, because at that point you're paying 40% tax, 
but you also start losing your your personal tax-free allowance as well so it's all pretty nasty and, and pretty pretty complicated and you know that's that's the income tax side of things there's also other things specifically with investments which are happening as well so we've had the dividend allowance which is the amount of dividends that you can receive tax-free each year has been cut from two thousand pounds to one thousand pounds this year and it's going down to 500 pounds next year so again a lot more people are going to be paying dividend tax if they don't have their investments in a tax shelter and capital gains tax as well last year you were able to to, to make uh gains each year of twelve thousand three hundred pounds that's that's actually being cut to six thousand pounds this year and it's going to be cut to three thousand pounds next year so you know a whole host of you know additional tax that people are going to be paying um uh you know on the on their investments and on their income and and clearly a, a good way to actually mitigate that is to use tax shelters like sips um, and isas to protect your 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 investments uh, from income and capital gains tax. Yeah, really interesting stuff. I was actually looking to, at some figures from AJ Bell and and with the dividend changes alone, you know, it's going to affect millions of Brits potentially. So it, it will definitely have a big impact on small shareholders, business owners, people like that. Okay, and then just, you know, around this tax year end, do retail investors tend to trade a lot around this time of year? Well, I mean, there's definitely a lot of activity, uh, mainly around, to be honest, the end of, of the tax year. I think it's no secret that that's when, you know, for whatever reason, you know, people people do do their, their SIPs and their ICES. Um, you know, I guess the deadline is just really motivating. People do just tend to leave it to the last minute. So the last couple of months of the tax year, always the most um, busy in terms of people actually putting money in, into their ICES. I think, you know, at the... <laughs> At the beginning of a new tax year, you've got kind of a, a cluster of very hardcore early bird ISA investors who are there on 6th of April ready with their debit card to put their, their allowance in. But I think they're probably the exception rather than, than, than the rule. Um, so, I mean, that's in terms of, I guess, active, you know, ISA activity. In terms, of, in terms of trading activity, like share trading activity, actually that, you know, the spikes that you see in that actually tend to be driven by more more market orientated events so you know just looking back over the last few years stuff like the brexit vote um obviously when covid hit and we started having lockdowns and you know when the vaccine uh, when the vaccine was announced as well you know all, all of those things that that is what tends to actually stimulate trading activity because the rest of the year everyone tends to kind of be spread out a little bit and when they're kind of looking at their portfolio or making changes for instance yeah i was actually i think it may have been one of your competitors so i won't mention who it was but um i was looking at some figures and i think it was like the record for uh using up your contributions the fastest in a year and i think by 107 in the morning so just after the midnight deadline they were one hour and seven minutes into their new tax year and they'd already used up their entire £20,000 contribution. So um, yeah, that that was a record there, I think. Um, okay, Cherry, do you want to, let, let, let's chat to you about ICES, you know, have you been using these fantastic tax wrappers for, for a long time? Yes, yes, I have. Um, basically, I, I'm, I'm my sort of journey with ICES, if you like, was I started investing in the middle of the tech boom of the late 1990s and having made some really kind of disastrous 
tech investments that sort of went to zero and, and were just hopeless. I thought, well, I've really got to get a grip of this and um, made my first proper sort of ISA investments in a collective fund run, run, by, run by a sort of famous fund manager called Anthony Bolton, or who used to be famous. And that proved a lot more productive <laughs> and, um, for my long-term wealth than any of the tech investments I've made. Um, and I've, I've invested pretty consistently in ISAs ever since. Um, I mean, and, and now I just, I, I put regular regular savings in them. I have junior ISAs for my children. Um, and of course, like everybody, I wish I started sooner and I wish I put more in, but you know, there's, there's always something to spend money on. There you go. <laughs> and why do you think they are so important to use? In a way, I feel it's, it's almost not that they're sort of so important. It's almost like, why not? It, you can, you can put pretty much any investment, you know, very esoteric investments. You can put almost anything you like in them. It doesn't cost you anything. It shelters everything from tax. And it, it's almost a, well, why wouldn't you? Um, so, I mean, I personally, I, I like using them because you can build up a kind of long-term income stream. So, and, and that's tax, that's sheltered from tax. And so that sort of, um, protects you from you know whatever the latest government um, changes in the tax rates are or changes in the dividends and that kind of thing. Um, but you know, there, but there are lots of other uses for them, and you can really um, shape them to your investment goals and objectives, and, and really get the flavour of ISA that that you like. Yeah, so it's this really important thing where there's no taxes on capital gains, there's no taxes on dividends, there's no taxes from interest on bonds. All of that is just ignored. You don't even need to tell the taxman about them. So so this is why why it just makes investing so easy. And of course, against the context of of what Laith describes there and in how, you know, our, our tax-free allowances for these things, specifically with investing, have come down and they're going to come down again, then you know, we really need to be utilizing them. Yes, and I think I mean it's also worth worth mentioning that they're they're hugely flexible. I mean, in a way, it's not always an advantage to be able to take money out of uh, um, an investment, but but it you know you can for emergencies. So it's it's not like you're sort of locking everything away, um, which I think is is possibly more of a psychological advantage than a, than a real advantage. But also. Um, my understanding is that um, ISAs are kind of increasingly flexible in, in the way you can use the allowance every year. So, yeah, that's worth noting as well. Laith, as investors, we can wait till the end of the tax year to invest. As you say, the end of this tax year will be April 5th in 2024. Or we can get in there early as in right now and sort of get going on this. Now, you've run some numbers on how this impacts our long-term returns so which approach wins yeah so i mean the the, the the kind of model that we ran was basically looking back to um, 1999 which is when all ISAs were launched and basically sort of assuming that you put three thousand pounds in each year um, so you can do that either at the very on the very first day of the tax year or on the on the very last day of the tax year and you know you do that every year so actually um, you know, looking at, you know, two, I guess, two examples of two different people 
um, who'd every every single year they've just invested on the same day, either the first day of the tax year or the last day of the tax year. So they've invested the same amount. Um, and um, you know, since since 1999, the the early bird uh, ISA investor would be around nine thousand pounds ahead of the late bird. So if you think they've contributed the same amount and it's three thousand pounds each year, that's basically the equivalent of an extra sort of three years of of ISA contributions. Um, and, you know, 1999 was, you know, the, the height of of the tech boom, you know, which, as, as Cherry, Cherry mentioned, it was actually a really good year for the stock market. So actually kind of, you know, the early bird ISA investor in that year puts their money in. And then by the time the late bird comes along, you know, they're already a long way ahead. And that's given them a really good head start. Um, but but what's quite interesting is that, you know, kind of even if you look at, at years where that hasn't happened, where actually the opposite has happened, like, you know, this financial crisis in, in kind of 2008, kind of your 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 early bird there, if you put your money in, if that's when you started, your early bird would see their money fall by 20% by the time that the, the late bird has starts to put their, their money in. But actually, over time, that recovers and actually... By the present day, that uh, that early bird ISA investor kind of putting their money in on the first day of each of, of each tax year would now still be six thousand pounds ahead. Um, so you know it still kind of pays to get your your ISA allowance in early if you're a long term investor. Okay, and, and what's the force that's driving this? Why is this the case? Uh, well, I mean, it's just market compound growth, really, because, you know, kind of even if you don't have a good first year in the market, that contribution still then goes on on to grow. You know, you know, if you looked over shorter time frames, then, you know, there would there would be some occasions when it would be paid to be a late bird investor. But, you know, kind of, you know, would you have a, a rather have a bigger pot in the in the short term or, or the long term? You know, obviously, the kind of answer is pretty straightforward. Um, so it's just simply the, the, the effect of having your, your money in that market, the money in the market for, for that bit longer. And Cherry, how would you say compounding has played a, a part in, term, in in your returns over the years? Oh, I mean, I think it's it's vital. I mean, I, it's almost it, it's very difficult to disaggregate it and, and sort of put a figure on how much comes from contributions and how much comes from sort of compounding and growth and that sort of thing. Uh, but I, I'd say possibly as much as half of my current ISA portfolio is from growth, not contributions. And that, that's not by investing in sort of hugely risky assets or something. That's just the, the grind higher of investing regularly and that sort of thing. Um, I would add that, again, income helps in that. So dividend, if you reinvest dividends over time, um, then, you know, they're added to your, your portfolio, you're buying more units, you know, and your portfolio grows that way. So that, that's a sort of um, a, a nice way to compound your returns as well. Why do we need to be invested when the markets are down, you know, obviously this year, well, last year in particular was a really poor year for markets and and they're still very volatile now. Why do we need to be invested when they're still when they're down? I, it is honestly one of the most sort of perverse things about um, human psychology, I think, that um, you everybody, you know, if, if you were buying shoes or clothes or that sort of thing and you saw something on sale 
you would immediately go, oh, what a great bargain. But the moment stock markets are down, everyone's like, oh, no, no, something that the world must know something that I don't and I have to chip out. And, you know, and, and so nobody buys, even though people know the theory of you buy low and you sell high, it, everyone gets terribly nervous. So actually now, you know, low markets are exactly when you should be looking hardest. Um, and, you know, because you can pick up, because inevitably when, when stock market sentiment is poor, you know, the baby is thrown out with bathwater and you tend to get very good companies that, that are thrown out along with ones that, you know, where there are problems. And, you know, good fund managers should be able to sort of pick those out for you. So I would say now is exactly the sort of time that you should be looking at stock markets. Though I would say that if you're going into stock market investment, you do, you do need to have a, you do, you do need to develop a, a slightly thicker skin. You know, markets do bounce around and they will bounce around on yeah, yeah, really things that don't matter. At the moment, they're very obsessed with what the Fed is going to do next and that kind of thing. And it probably doesn't matter for most companies, but it just affects sentiment in the market. So you always need to be prepared for a bit of, you know, ups and downs. Um, but there are plenty of ways to mitigate that. You can mitigate it through diversification, through investing regularly, um, all these kind of things. And am I right in saying, Cherry, that the best days actually often follow the worst days? Yeah, there's lots of really good evidence that shows that a missing just a handful of days in markets can really hurt your long term returns. But also those best days often come really quickly after the worst day. So um, there was a recent study by uh, JP Morgan, it's, it's long term capital markets assumption study, which showed that missing the best 10 days in markets over 20 years reduced an investor's annualized return from 9.7% to 5.6%. And those best days, seven of those 10 best days occurred within 15 days of the 10 worst days. Right. <laughs> okay. So the message is it's complicated, but stay invested is the is the the big the big takeaway. Laith, now we have we looked at this sort of binary approach, I suppose, of very early or very late, but there are different ways of doing it. We could devise a monthly investing plan. And again, you've run the numbers on looking at just chucking in lump sums versus monthly investing and spreading it out. Which is better and why? Yeah, so I mean, again, it depends. Well, it depends, I guess, what you mean by better. If you mean in terms of like the actual size of the pot that you get at the end of the day, which I guess is what a lot of people would mean by it, then, you know, having your money in the market for longer generally works out better. So again, if you look over the last uh, 20 years, if you'd invested a £20,000 lump sum 20 years ago, it would now be worth around £118,000. Um, if instead you'd have chosen to kind of regularly invest that same amount every month for that same period, uh, it would be around £70,000. So um, uh, quite quite a big difference there. You know, again, you know, we happen to be at a very strange sort of place right now. Well, it's not that strange, but it happens every now and again. But 20 years ago happens to coincide with 
the the low in the bear market of 2003 so it was actually like you know an amazing time uh to be investing you know kind of like as as cherry was just saying you know you know kind of like investor investor confidence was absolutely on the floor stock markets were really cheap um and so actually since then there's been an absolute um you know kind of bull market you know take you know if you take away the 2008-09 you know share prices have gone up massively um over that period um so again if you run the analysis again looking in in a less auspicious time to be investing so if you put your twenty thousand pounds in in october 2007 so just before the the financial crash um you'd have around fifty eight thousand pounds today that's partly because it's not such a good time to be investing but also you haven't been for investing for as long as well um so um if you compare that with what you might have from a a, a regular savings plan uh, then it would be around £54,000 from a regular savings plan of the same amount. So there's actually, that's quite, you know, that's that's a relatively tight um, difference, you know, depending on the kind of timing of your of your lump sum investment. And I think, and that's the thing with kind of lump sums is that kind of if you're putting a big amount of money into the market, actually what happens over that first kind of 12 months actually does actually matter compared to a regular savings plan where you're kind of just drip feeding it in. What would you say are the key advantages of using a, a monthly savings approach? I mean, probably the, the biggest advantage is that it kind of smooths out the volatility in the stock market. Mm -hmm. So you've got money going in regularly, so you don't get these very big falls um, in the value of your investments. So, you know, that's, um, you know, that's, that's a positive thing, particularly if, uh, if that's something that concerns you. Um, you know, I think, um, you know, there's a question, there's also a question of affordability, isn't there? Because it's all very well saying, talk about lump sum investment. If you don't have a lump sum to invest, well, it's kind of academic, isn't it? So uh, for a lot of us, actually, regular savings make a lot more sense in terms of, you know, you can pay them out of your income. Um, so you can set aside a certain amount each month and it, and it just goes into the market um, automatically. And, and that's another thing is that it kind of, because it happens automatically, it just takes the hassle out of investing. Um, it also kind of Im imposes a savings discipline on you, doesn't it? Because it's it's kind of going out automatically uh, rather than kind of thinking, oh, how much, you know, kind of every year, how much do I need um, to put aside? Um, and then maybe maybe not doing that, maybe missing your ISA allowance um, or kind of, you know, not, not, you know, kind of missing a few years of contributions, which can really stack up at the end of the day. So, you know, I think for for actually for most people, it's, it seems to me that actually a regular savings plan is probably... The best way to go about it and if you happen to have sort of extra cash available then do lump sums on top of it okay i'm gonna get into the final bit of our interview and that's just having a little think about investments and how we kind of approach this now lath for the early bird who maybe wants to get going with investing but you know we were talking about volatile markets and they don't want too many sleepless nights how would you approach investing in your ISA in order to kind of reduce some of those worries a little bit? Yeah, so I mean, I guess the thing I'd probably point out is, I mean, we've just been talking there about kind of regular savings versus lump sum. And uh, we tend to think of, you know, putting an early bird contribution in as a kind of lump sum investment, which technically it is. But you know, if you're doing your ISA every year, you're still a regular saver, right? You know, even if you're putting lump sums in, you're you're still a regular saver because you're just putting it in every year rather than monthly. So there's definitely, even if you're doing that, there's definitely a smoothing effect that you get from doing that. 
Um, so, um, you know, rather than kind of just putting all your chips on the table in one go, you're kind of slowly dotting them through your kind of entire savings journey. Um, you know, beyond that, if if you're looking to kind of dial down risk, then then what you need to be looking at is reducing your 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 exposure to, to shares to the stock market. And you would do that by adding in other investments, things like bonds, uh, property, perhaps absolute return funds, cash, possibly infrastructure, all these other various asset classes that you might look at, probably bonds, bonds and cash probably being the main ones. So either you can do that yourself you know, running a kind of portfolio of shares uh, and bonds, which is tailored to your own sort of personal risk sort of circumstances, or you can buy a couple of multi-asset funds. So those are funds run by professional fund managers. So they invest in a whole gamut of um, different assets to give you kind of diversification across a lot of different markets. And a lot of them are run with a certain sort of risk profile in, in mind, often, often quite low risk. And so you can pick one out that kind of um, sort of fits your own kind of attitude to risk. Um, I mean, the thing I would point out is that, you know, if you are, that it's absolutely fine to take a more conservative approach with your investments. Over the long term, that is probably going to mean that you get uh, lower returns than someone who is taking a full equity approach over the over the long term but the flip side of that is that actually you get lower volatility over the short term and for instance if you might need your money you're never going to have to sell out when the market's absolutely on its knees and you're getting you know you're making big losses okay so you would say that would you say that if you've got long long time frames you know and i'm sort of saying i mean they say a minimum of five years for equities but for shares but you know 10 years or longer than that that if you're considering about really wanting to maximize long-term returns, then taking an equity approach, a shares approach is is quite a good idea. I think, yeah, I mean, from a return perspective, just looking at the numbers, then that's the case. Yeah, I think if you're probably in that five to 10 year gap, then probably a more conservative approach is warranted. Um, anything over that, um, you know, 10 years, I think kind of you can say happily have a full equity approach. Um, I think it's 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 often kind of particularly within pensions that um, people often think that kind of pensions have to be this really safe asset and kind of even kind of people in their 20s and 30s can think that. But you can't get hold of your pension till you're 57. You might not get hold of it till you're 65. You've got 40 years. And I just think particularly people with that long, um, you know, really should be trying to focus on on kind of equity investment um you know as i say kind of like over the long term you know the numbers show that equities are you know on average the best returning asset class but there are a range of outcomes and it's not just about the numbers it's also about kind of you know investing in something that you feel comfortable with so you know if it's going to cause you sleepless nights then definitely don't be investing in in the equity market but just be aware that actually kind of long-term returns are probably going to be better the more risk you take that's just the trade-off cherry have you favored any types of investments over the years and i suppose by this i mean sort of broad things like you know vehicles like investment trusts for example yes i think i probably go through phases so i i mean i've definitely favored equity income i, I find something that there's some there's something very reassuring about getting you know four or five percent of your money back every year in dividends that goes into your um you know that, that is reinvested in the pot and i think i think that's quite reassuring particularly in volatile markets um i i do like investment trusts um i like the fact that you can um you can you know if you if you look carefully you can get 
investment trusts are trading below the value of their underlying assets that trade at a discount. Um, and, you know, particularly when sentiment is, is, is weak towards a, a particular asset class, um, you know, it, it, you, can, you can go and sort of cherry pick in those. Um, I, more recently, I have, I have sort of looked to get a, a, a bit more of a sustainable flavor in, in, um, in my ISA. So, as I said, you know, investing in some of the um, energy infrastructure, renewable trusts, and they also pay a nice dividend as well. So, um, but I like the fact that they've sort of got, you know, the dual objective of, um, well, if I don't make money, at least I've done something nice for the environment. But hopefully you get both. Um, Leith, I just wanted to ask your opinion on investment trusts, actually. Is this something that you've, you you think is a good vehicle for retail investors? It can be, yeah. I think, um, you know, actually, if you look at whether open-ended funds or investment trusts, you know, actually, if you've got, you know, a similar portfolio, you know, you're, you're, you're going to kind of get similar returns. So actually, pr- probably for me, the choice is not between investment trust or unit trust. Actually, it's about kind of the fund that you're choosing, how much risk you're taking and the fund manager as well. So, uh, you know, kind of if you've got a fund manager who's not very good, whether they're running an investment trust mm-hmm. or a unit trust, guess what? Mm-hmm. The, your returns aren't going to be great. Um, so, um, I mean, investment trusts, I think, are probably a little bit more complicated and risky than um, than unit trusts. Um, so you have the, you know, you have the kind of discount um, or, or the investment trust can trade at a discount or a premium. Um, so, you know, that adds a little bit of, of complexity. Um, and they also can borrow to invest. That's actually quite good over the long term, generally speaking, because if you borrow money to invest it and the market goes up, which it does over longer time frames, then actually you get even more returns. Uh, but both of those things also mean that investment trusts can be be more volatile. But they are still really interesting. Lots of good managers there. So, yeah, I think for, for, for retail investors, they're a good vehicle. And particularly what they're good for is actually more illiquid asset classes so um we've had problems within unit trusts particularly in the in the property fund space because unit trusts basically offer daily dealing to investors so buying and selling units in the fund well if you think about you know kind of the idea of holding commercial property in in a fund like that uh, it's quite difficult to kind of buy and sell whole commercial properties like a you know a shopping estate in a day so it just it just doesn't happen so that whole there's a bit of a mismatch there between unit trust and illiquid assets whereas with with investment trusts they're a fixed pool of capital so there's no new money going in people buy and sell shares off each other and so the fund manager doesn't have this kind of worry which is like oh well i've seen like you know X, X million pounds of outflows today, I have to go sell an office block, which is difficult, right? Mm-hmm. So so for, for more liquid assets, I think investment trusts really come into their own. Okay, wow. Just final thought, Cherry, what would be your top tips for those who are thinking about getting going in this new tax year? I would say, you know, don't overcomplicate it. You know, I mean, we talked about the importance of staying invested. So like just finding something you're comfortable with that's diversified that just sort of gets you in the market you know that that should be a 
priority, really. Okay, well, on that note, a very big thank you to our guests, Cherry Reynard and Laith Calif, and to our sponsors, Asset Value Investors. If you would like to learn more about them, then please go to their website, assetvalueinvestors.com. Or if you've got any questions for me, please email me at marcus at steptoinvesting.com. Well, I hope you enjoyed that. I think what's really interesting is that time and time again, really, we do come back to some really simple truths about investing. And I I don't think they're difficult ones. I don't think they're difficult concepts. I think the big three are always this. Number one, just get going as early as you possibly can with anything that you can, because time in the market is everything. And, And it just gives... It unleashes the forces of compounding that Einstein loves so much and could really make a massive difference to your returns, you know, quite a lot further down the line. I think number two, you've got to diversify that risk. You want to be taking stock market risks, but you don't want to be taking unnecessary risks that might have a seriously detrimental impact on your wealth. So using collectives such as investment trusts is a good way of doing that. And then number three stay invested ignore you know ignore the market panic ignore the noise and just keep going no matter what you're seeing in the news all that fear that tends to be sort of projected by the media just keep going because as cherry highlighted those best days often follow the worst until next time goodbye (laughs) 